we tell stories that engage, inspire, and have a lasting impact? How do we turn thoughts and ideas into effective and authentic storytelling? How can we use stories to make a difference in our work, lives, and communities? I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and together we'll explore what it means to tell stories with heart. Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling with Heart podcast. I am your host, Camille DePutter, and with me today is Dr. Rachel Miller, a distinguished board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist who expertly combines her medical expertise with her passion for leadership development. As a certified executive coach and author of How to Succeed as a Healthcare Leader, she is dedicated to empowering healthcare leaders to drive meaningful change within their organizations and their private practices. Dr. Miller offers transformative guidance to physician executives and frontline leaders through her company, Pocket Bridges. She also has an award-nominated podcast, Life, Love, and Leadership for Physicians, where she shares her expertise and interviews experts, myself included. (laughs) I'm excited (laughs) to have Dr. Miller on the show today because even if you don't work in healthcare, there is so much that is applicable here to leadership in general, to making change in the world, and to aligning our work with the things we care about most. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much, Camille. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you here. So I thought maybe we could get started with just you kind of sharing your story with us. Can you tell us about how you got into medicine in the first place and why you wound up becoming an executive coach? Yeah. So my story um, goes probably back to at the age of 13, I had a, a small minor outpatient procedure that was done and I had the opportunity to meet my anesthesiologist the day before my actual procedure, and he was very nice, very calming, very reassuring to me. And I said, you know what? I want to do for other people what he did for me. Mm -hmm. I want to make people feel um, more comfortable going into something scary like that. I want to uh, help them feel reassured. And that is what, that's the story that brought me into wanting to be a physician and went almost all the way through college wanting to be an anesthesiologist. I had the opportunity in 11th grade to shadow an anesthesiologist and actually be in the operating room. And I realized what they typically did. And I said, you know what, this isn't, this isn't much fun. I don't want to just watch people sleep the whole time and realize that it was quite unusual for an anesthesiologist to see the patient the day before and to spend that much time with them. So I said, you know what, I don't think I want to do this anymore, but I still want to do medicine. And so I went into medical school uh, knowing what I did not want to do. And I didn't want to be a surgeon because they had to get to the hospital really early. And I didn't want to be an OBGYN because I didn't want to have to be up in the middle of the night delivering babies. And (laughs) uh, lo and behold, I went through my rotations and I loved being the OR. I loved delivering babies. And so that's what I, that's what I chose. So that is, that is the story of what drew me into, um, into OBGYN. And as far as my executive coaching um, experience, I 
I when I first started my when I started my first job in 2013, and that was the first job outside of residency, the opportunity came to um, take on a, a, a much larger leadership opportunity in the in the hospital. And again, I, I raised my hand and I went into that position and that role with a spirit of servitude. I just wanted to serve and make the department better for for not only for myself, but for the people that I worked with. And when I got into that position, I quickly realized that physicians aren't given the the education and the tools to be really good leaders, you know, how to affect change, how to um, or, or, you know, lead change, how to have difficult conversations. I had no concept of different types of communication styles. I, I had no concept of that. And I sought out coaching on my own and, um, and, 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 and that helped me. And um, long story short, uh, I decided, I said, you know what, I think I just want to go back to being a just a full-time OBGYN. So I resigned from that position, um, but I still really missed feeling like I was affecting change. So I looked in to figure out how can I do more of that? How can I impact medicine in, in, in a different way? So I discovered executive coaching and uh, very quickly started my business, got my training, and um, and then did some additional training for um, for leadership development and leadership coaching. And then I realized I said, you know, I I like the tools I have for executive coaching, and I like this leadership stuff. And what I was seeing and hearing from clients was. All of these other things in the back, like, you know, issues with boundaries, issues with um, uh, not seeing, thinking things are either black or white and not say, not seeing all of the shades of gray there was and not even considering those things. And um, and I, I saw all of these things that were affecting these uh, physicians and leadership. And I said, OK, I need some more tools. So then I did some additional training and uh, some life coach training. And um, and so I have this nice blend of the executive coaching, the leadership, you know, development, and then like the life coaching to really to bring things together. And I think that's unique. So that's the, that's the story of, of my coaching. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I mean, it's such an, it's a really interesting story and it sounds like the, the turning point in a way was getting coaching yourself. Is that right? Yeah, I think it definitely was getting coaching myself. And then I was able to use the tools that I learned to work with clients. I was able to actually use them on myself. And um, the, the instance when that happened was I was having, I had, I was, I remember I had gotten home uh, from the hospital, I had worked a whole night before, and um, my uh, colleague had called me and asked me a question about a decision she was going to have to make that was going to affect the physicians. And I, you know, had a conversation with her. It lasted about forty-five minutes. I was actually in the in the bathroom. The shower was running the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and I got off the phone with her, and I said. You know what? I I really like what I was doing. I, I liked that experience of asking her questions and 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 then her answering them. I liked that experience that I had. And I said, okay, well, well, how how can I do more of that? And I said, okay, well, I I can do this. I says, well, would I be able to be compensated for that? 
And then I thought, well, I guess that's that's technically a business. And I've always had this thought in my head, like, oh, I'll never be a business owner, right? That's just that's just not for me. And I says, well, if you exchange a service for money, that technically is a business. So I can make it a business. And so, so I was asking myself questions and the to- coaching style questions. And that's what that's that's what really sparked the idea of, well, maybe I can do something with this. Maybe I can uh, affect change in this way and actually make it a business. So, right. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, you were kind of able to challenge some of your own assumptions right from the beginning around, well, what is, is a business and what is possible for me to do within my career? And even who can I be in my career? And what are some of the different hats that I might be able to wear? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think in kind of ingrained in your story, and I think a comment you had made to me uh, before when we were chatting before this podcast was just about like the value of starting with yourself. Like when you want to be able to make big changes with within an organization or within, you know, even larger within an industry or something, why is it important or useful to start with yourself? Oh, yes, that is such an important um, concept for uh, people to realize. Um, And, you know, I like to and when when I work with my um, clients, that's a that's a big thing that we focus on is really getting to um, know and understand yourself first. And when you understand your yourself and your the way you think and the way you process information and the way you communicate and what your values are, you're able to see people in a different way. You're able to see people in a different light and you're able to appreciate some of the nuances with other people. Now, um, just as, as an example, some people will say, um, or some people will think that that person, you know, is, is aloof. They don't like talking to other people. They are just have bad attitudes. And, and when you understand yourself and that you are an extrovert and you feed off of energy from people, and that's what you need in order to thrive you're able to see that, huh? And you're able to think about this other person and say, huh, well, maybe that's not who they are. Maybe that's just not their personality. Maybe they they appreciate the time spent to think about things and they need that, um, they need that space. And maybe it isn't that they just don't like me or they just don't like people. Maybe that's just who they are. And maybe that's just their personality. And so you're able to when when you realize how you are, then you're able to appreciate the differences and the nuances of of how other people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, self awareness is is you know an ongoing, like lifelong kind of process. But if people want to start to get to know themselves better or start to develop that understanding, I mean, where where can they begin? So I think a good place to start is by journaling and just writing down your thoughts and writing down your feelings. And every so often going back to 
what you've written down and and just thinking about it um, and and processing it. I think that's a really good place to uh, to to start to 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 see your thoughts on paper. Um, the other thing I think is a really easy way to do it, and there's lots of free resources to do this online, um, and that is uh, values exercises, knowing what your values are. And um, you can, you know, you can do that by looking at a list of, you know, 300 different values that are out there and and thinking about and writing down what are the top 10 and then saying, okay, well, of these 10, what what are my what are my top five? And you know, putting them in order. If you if you had to put them in order, could you put them in order? And I think that that is a a great way that doesn't cost anything to start to realize, you know, what's what is important to you and what are what are you using to help guide your decisions in life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would say both of those things have helped me in, immensely with understanding myself and just in in general in life because yeah, when you first of all when you journal, you're even just creating time for yourself that is a- allowing you to reflect on things and kind of just engage with yourself in a different way and get stuff out on paper. So the the actual process of writing is different than just like thinking thoughts in your own head. And you can also, you know, potentially go back and and see patterns and, and start to learn. And same with values. I've done ex- values exercises at, at different times, um, including for me, when I, before I started my business a few years before that, I believe it was in one of Brene Brown's books. Maybe it was Daring Greatly. And I think it was actually more in a section that didn't really apply to me on the surface. It was about, um, I think more about like how we are raising our kids and stuff. But she talked about living your values and how many of us might espouse certain values, but we're not necessarily practicing them in the day-to-day. And that was such a wake-up call for me because when I looked at how I was living and what my work life was like and that kind of thing, I was like, I'm not living my values. And that led to a significant course correction really in my life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that that reminds me of um, uh, of an interaction that I had actually with a recent client. I think we had this conversation one of her top values um, was her children. And she realized that what she was doing at work, she was sacrificing her children in order to, you know, thinking about how to rise in her faculty status, you know, at, at work. And so real realizing that, you know, and seeing that on paper just had her her take a second and say, oh, wow, like I am not, I am not making decisions that are in align with my values. Yeah, it really can be. It can make decision-making a lot clearer and and really kind of help us, uh, yeah, like, you know, course correct if we need to or make powerful adjustments in our lives. I'm curious as to, you had mentioned earlier some of the maybe kinds of thinking or roadblocks or stuff that you notice that some clients might have. And thinking about leaders in general, what are some of the blind spots that leaders often have or, you know, things that are 
getting in their way or holding them back? I would say one of one of the um, big blind spots is that they have to choose between uh, 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 family life being a priority or work being a priority. And they don't often realize or don't um, uh, or have a difficult time um, thinking about how they can have both or how they can have aspects of both sides. Now, things may not always be equal. You know, we oftentimes think about you know, work-life, work-life balance, but I kind of think it's more of a like a work-life integration. But um, oftentimes uh, people think that they have to choose one or the other and um, they have to be either 100% academic or they have to not be any and they, they're, they're, you know, they, you know, work no time, have to be a stay-at-home mom, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's there's a lot of other ways that it could look. I mean, there's options for part-time work. There's options for um uh, 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 being a part-time faculty, um, they uh, sometimes it may require um, people to move, and they may say, "Oh, I can't move. I can't imagine living anywhere, anywhere else." But it's like, well, is that really true? I mean, could 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 you live somewhere else? You know, could if you were to have all of these things um, uh, better or different, would would it be worth moving? And, um, and so, so I think that the way we, um, think about, uh, our life and our career, oftentimes it's either, you know, black or white (laughs) without considering how things could, um, integrate. And I think one of the things that this is kind of, kind of going down a, a, a tangent is, a little bit is that we uh, now with the corporatization of medicine or with hospital systems being owned by you know large systems and a lot of physicians are employed into these systems and there's not much autonomy you know we either think about okay well i have to work for a large corporate entity or i have to you know, work for, you know, a private practice and have to, you know, deal with all of the things and all of the struggles of having a private practice, you know, like having to deal with the billing and, 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 and insurance and all of the stuff that has to do with that. And there are other models that are out there. You know, there's this whole concept of direct care, which is having a uh, cash-based practices. So not even dealing with the insurance. And there's a whole concept of uh, direct primary care where it's more of a membership style. And those things are starting to, 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 to catch wind and, and having, and, and, and it's allowing physicians to start thinking in these other ways and these creative ways of how they can do what they want to do practice medicine and doing it in the in a way that um, uh, uh, allows them to feel fulfilled and allows them to have the things that are important to them, whether it's autonomy or whether it's flexibility or uh, things like that. So I would say that that's a long answer to your question of, of uh, you know, what sort of things, um, you know, what's, what are some of the traps that physicians fall into? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really love that. Like, first of all, the sort of the um, the black and white thinking that you had mentioned earlier too, or or all or nothing thinking, you know, it's like, well, if I was going to do this, it would have to be all the way, or I can't do that at all. And those examples you gave, uh, I mean, it resonates with me because I think about how I can fall into these kinds of traps in, in my own life. Um, and even yours your own story too of then like you you would never have thought when going and becoming a a doctor that you could then also have a like uh an executive coaching practice you know probably when you were younger if you know if somebody had even presented that you would have said i can't do that like what absolutely absolutely there's like uh, no, no, that's, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also appreciate what you're saying about sort of the, the professional and the personal and would love to dig into that a little bit more too, because I think we, we are sort of taught that your personal life and your professional life should be different. If they overlap, you're kind of doing something wrong. Like you're taking business too personally, or you're working too much. Um, and not that those can't be, you know, uh, concerns or, or real issues, but I think what we hear less about is how can investing in personal work myself help me also in my career, help me not just do better at work, say, but also get more meaning out of it or make a bigger impact. The questions that are asked during a coaching session or a good quote coaching session helps you think outside of the box. It it helps you think about, you know, what is getting in the way of you making whatever decision that it is that you need to make. What is what is holding you back? What is what is it that um is is keeping you from doing this this amazing thing and when you start addressing those 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 things that are holding you back or those things that are getting in the way, then it's like like you, it's like kind of like the first thing of solving a problem is that you have to admit that there is a problem, right? So it's identifying what it is. And then once you identify what it is, then it can be addressed. Right. So that's what coaching, the coaching relationship and a coaching type of conversation um, can 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 help. And um it 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 also one of the really neat things is that it it can open your mind up to possibilities that uh you didn't think were even possible. Um uh it helps you question what it is that you think is true. Um, Like, for example, the example I gave you earlier, um, you know, if someone, you know, wants to move somewhere or or they can't do X because they would have to move and they just can't live anywhere else. Well, well, is that true? Right. And then asking the, the, the next step, you know, is that really true? That's what I think it's Byron Katie that says, is it true? And then you question yourself, is it really true? And so that sort of uh, uh, questioning uh, certain norms that we have can be helpful in a lot of uh, circumstances and situations. Going back to some of the, the comments you made earlier about noticing that 
physicians and probably folks in in healthcare in general, they haven't necessarily been trained or supported to lead. And so you've you've gone off and, and done all this work in your coaching clients. What is your your vision for healthcare and that kind of environment and how you would like it to change? Like if you're able to make the kind of impact that you want to and, and other people like you, what in your mind does that look like? Yeah. I think that um in in my mind it looks like um leadership skills um and qualities being something that is um touched on in in medical school and in residency and actually um and actually taught um and for those who are interested in wanting to get into leadership and and wanting to um uh, uh, hold certain positions, the hospital systems or the healthcare entities supporting that training and supporting that education. There's, you know, uh, several programs out there. For, I mean, whether you go get off uh, formal from like an organization that teaches you leadership principles and get certifications or, you know, working with a coach, um, oftentimes those types of trainings are reserved for people in the C-suite. And the people in the C-suite are, I mean, while it is important for them, but it shouldn't end there. Um, the people that are uh, the leaders that are 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 under them, um, it is also important for there to be a a, um, a focus and attention being given to to them and their and and, and fostering their um, their growth and their learning. And then down to the department leaders, the department um, level physicians, you know, there's they're definitely they're definitely not uh, not oftentimes supported in their their leadership uh, journey. They they're they're expected to do quite a bit. They're expected to lead change. They're expected to um, pass pass down initiatives from up above. Um, they're expected to side with, you know, administration and a lot of the things that are being passed down without that sort of, without that training and without that education, without that um, experience of knowing how you, that self-awareness that we were talking about earlier, without knowing how to do that well, it makes it more difficult for those initiatives to to be passed down from the top all the way down into into the bottom, you know how. Uh, uh, for example, if um, one of the things that um, we we talk about is is with change. I mean, anytime you have some sort of change, there's there's reasons why um, individuals are resistant to change, and it can be different for everyone and going through the process of uh of helping that leader understand you know why people different people are resistant to change will help them be able to address each of those issues with the different people so that 
they will feel safe so that they will feel um, taken care of and that they will um, they feel like they can trust the person that is leading them. So so I like to see that there be a a, a priority and an, an intentional effort put towards supporting um, physicians in leadership. And, you know, and I've actually started started working with individuals outside of, of healthcare and a lot of the same things are going going on. I mean, a lot of the same principles principles are there. And, you know, I am oftentimes live in my little healthcare bubble, but as I've been talking to more people out there, a lot of these things, I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar in other industries, you know, people who are you know, in leadership positions or get promoted or have these titles, they have no leadership experience. They've they've never, you know, taken a leadership class. They don't understand they don't under they don't understand um, you know, how to actually lead. So I like there to be um specifically for healthcare, uh, I'd love for there to be um effort, uh, an intentional effort put towards supporting um leaders, not just at the C suite, but you know, all the way down to department leaders. Yeah. I mean, you know, just imagine if throughout that whole circumstance that you described in this kind of, you know, healthcare ecosystem or, you know, the, the ecosystem of a hospital or something, but even in in other areas of life and work, if we could all get to do those things better, right? Like if we were able to communicate with each other better, if we were able to understand why somebody might be more resistant or what might be holding them back or why they might be responding a certain way and that kind of thing. And being able to also reflect more on ourselves and kind of understand what we what we might be bringing to a certain situation, assumptions or our own history or, or baggage, like just how much more we could get done and probably how much more angst and, uh, tension and, and also kind of, for lack of a better word, inefficiency, you know, like we could probably all work together a lot better, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, if you think about how you know connected we are nowadays with technology, you know, we have all of these, you know, with our cell phones being these, I mean, many computers essentially and 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 social media and you have AI now. I mean you have all of this technology out there where we should be so connected with people. I think that it actually has made us worse as far as connecting with other people and 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 learning how to um you know relate and interact with with one another. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I it's partly, you know, why I do so much of this work around expression and, and communication and connection, because I think it's really important and, and often missed, and we're often not really given the opportunity to develop and practice those skills. Um, and, it, and it's just often skipped over. And you can have all the tools in the world but if you aren't actually connecting with someone and, and making a difference and going back to your story in the first place about that anesthesiologist that helped you feel safe, it was those, it was the feelings and the, that he, you know, inspired in you that sense of confidence and safety and being looked after and the human connection between the two of you that really had 
the impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, it's interesting because when you talk about that um, connection and trust, and I think um, in as far as leadership, that's what we, um, that's what we want. And, and, and trust is the, um, you know, the, the foundation of having any sort of functional team. You have to be able to trust, um, uh, uh, you have to be able to trust one another. And that comes, you, you have to have time with one another. You have to be in the space. You have to be in, in the presence of, of the other person. And particularly with, with, um, hospital systems nowadays, you, the, the, these large systems, there are so many hospitals that are um, associated with it. And you can be someone's boss or someone's leader and have never seen them. You know, they could be in a whole other state, you know, possibly. And so it's hard to have functional and healthy teams when you aren't in the midst of someone, you're not connecting with them. You aren't, um, you know, in, in the presence uh, of, of, of that other, of the, of the, of the people that you lead. It's just so important. So important. Is there, are there some ways around that? Like, do, can you foster real trust just working virtually? Yeah. Um, I think you know, Zoom does help or Zoom or whatever, you know, virtual meetings. I think that that has um, helped us be able to um, uh, uh, have better relationships because we're able to see one another. We're able to uh, see expressions um, from one another. So I think that that definitely helps. Um, other things that can be helpful is frequent communication. So um, you frequent emails, keeping um, individuals updated. So um, I think that there is a way that, to communicate in such a way um, to have transparency of what's going on in the organization. Um, and you can do some of that by, by email. Um, so those are, those are some of the things that I would say to, to help, um, uh, to help, you know, get past the, the, the distance in the space for those, those companies who are leading virtually. Yeah. It's, I think what I'm taking away from that is that, you just have to recognize that if you're not going to be there physically very often, that concept of building trust and understanding what are those things that are going to help contribute to trust, you might just have to work a little bit harder at them. Maybe you're already communicating with your team, but you're going to want to make sure they really, you're, you're almost over communicating and making sure you're keeping them in the loop about everything that you're really demonstrating transparency, that you'd want to do all those things all the time anyway. But there's almost like, you know, it's going to be extra important if you're leading virtually, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Extra important. And and also um, taking the time to meet with the individuals that you lead individually. Um, that that time and attention to each individual person is is also really important and key. Yes, thank you for saying that because I think uh, it can become easier to just sort of treat people in big groups, one big group Slack message or one big group email or something like that. And it's not the same as having a one-on-one -on -one private conversation with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs>
So uh, just kind of one final question before we wrap up, and this one's, uh, you know, not connected to what we were just talking about, but um, more about your own experience, because you have uh, written, you, you write a podcast, you've been published in other publications and magazines. And I'm just curious, how have expressing your own ideas and, you know, having these kinds of these kinds of communication opportunities, these kinds of thought leadership efforts, how have they helped you? And you can answer that from a business perspective, but you could also answer it from like a personal perspective or an impact perspective. Um, Well, I can't say I I do feel like I have um, grown as, as an individual and as a human being quite a bit since um, embarking on the different things that you know, the, this, you know this whole this whole journey of doing things outside of medicine. I think when you talk about you know writing the book and and um and the podcast, it's I think the 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 probably the the a way to kind of, uh, simplify that all of that would be would come from journaling. Right. So when you journal, you're putting your thoughts down on paper. You are, um, uh, you can think about the future. You can, um, you can dream, you can imagine on paper and you can, um, think about how things would look like in an ideal situation. You can think about, um, you know, why certain things are the way they are. And, uh um it's like i would say that that's that's almost what i've been doing at its core is really putting what's in my mind and in my heart uh out into the world <laughs> um instead of keeping it inside and 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 keeping it uh um uh, you know, on, 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 on just paper. That's, I think that's probably the, the, probably, I guess the best analogy that I can think of, you know, when you, when you ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love the way that you describe that of, um, taking what lives inside and actually giving it a place to exist. That's not just within your own head. And I think it's, you know, you, you kind of answered that question almost like in the form of a, of a tip, because it's like, rather necessarily than thinking, oh my gosh, you know, it, there's all these things that I should do, or, you know, how do I embark on this? And it's like, do I have to write a book and start a podcast and, you know, get published in a major magazine and blah, 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 in order to, you know, start really expressing myself or becoming a thought leader. And it, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, just just start by exploring your ideas, your vision, the different possibilities that that could exist, or the things you'd like to see in the world, or the things that keep you up at night. And when you explore them and put them on paper in some type of way, even if that just in the beginning is a journal only for yourself, then you're kind of creating a new gateway for that to be expressed and and grow and and turn into something that might reach somebody else. Am I kind of interpreting that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 to further elaborate on that, um, 
it, it's also been a way to, um, I, I guess in my, in my own little way, um, feeling like I am, uh, contributing to, uh, I guess, I guess for lack of better words, fixing my frustration, <laughs> fixing what I'm frustrated about. Um, you know, there's a lot of with all of the the burnout in healthcare and hearing stories about, you know, physicians literally willing to give up their careers to go and, you know, work at the mall or um, working at Michael's or, you know, being a barista. Uh, their physicians are are literally doing that. Um, nurses, you know, leaving the bedside, they're giving up the careers that they have worked so hard for and reading all of these stories and uh, 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 hearing these stories and then myself experiencing burnout. Like I, I, I cannot have taken all of these steps and sacrificed my life for this profession to be frustrated, to be stuck, to 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 um, you know, to be miserable, and just to continue to hear all of these things, it's like, what what else can I do? Like, I have to do something. Like, I I I, I must be made for more. I there has to be something that I can do to help other people. And so, I think for me, it's um, a lot of the things that I've done are in an attempt to. Uh, uh, improve healthcare and and improve the health of my community and improve the health of other people by helping the physicians who are leading these organizations. The downstream effect of that is even more than what I can do on my own. And so thinking of things that way gives me a lot of peace it gives me a lot of solace it you know helps me continue continue to go on so 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 and I, and I say all that to I guess that can be summed up in um uh if 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 someone is frustrated in things the way they are a good place to start is what am I frustrated about what is it that I can do to affect change that I would feel good about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I really appreciate, you know, what you described of being in this position of saying like, surely there's more than I can do. And surely I'm made for more than this to just be here and just to feel stuck and to feel frustrated. And you know, I've written before about this word frustration because I really think it's actually often an access point to really powerful um, ideas and and our you know some of our kind of best and most potent points of view and perspective that we can share. Because if you're frustrated about something, it means you can see that something is wrong and you can see the potential for it to be made better. And likely you can see something that other people aren't seeing as well. And so when we lean into that and you and share those ideas, especially when we're able to not just be venting or something, but to be sharing this potential or this vision for how things could be made better, um, then we have a real, you know, a 
a real opportunity to make an impact and, and inspire others and help others with our ideas. And as you pointed out too, that can go a long way to helping us um, cope in difficult circumstances where we also may have limited power, you know, like there's big things that we may want to change and want to improve and it can feel like, okay, well, what good is it going to do if I just write a newsletter about this or something, but at least you can contribute your own little bit in your corner of the world of saying what you think the right thing is of trying to make things better and just putting your hand up in some way to be like, I'm going to contribute what I feel is, you know, a positive contribution to this situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm so thankful for what you do because, you know, when you talk about story and storytelling, you know, everybody loves stories. They're, they're, they're captivating. You get, you know, you can get sucked into a story. My kids love stories. I mean, that's just a think that's just what we, um, you know, if, if kids and babies love stories, it's not like your primitive self. I mean, that's, you know, we, we get so drawn into stories. And so um, uh, I'm so glad that you are helping individuals be able to have their voice and have their voice through story. I think that that is, um, is so impactful to the world and, and, um, and uh, can lead to a significant amount of change in this world. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate that. And I appreciate what you're doing as well and in your way through coaching and helping to people and helping people to, to grow. So thank you so much for everything that you do and for joining me on the show today. It's been great. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, Camille. Thanks for listening to the Storytelling with Heart podcast. Want to turn your thoughts into leadership and your ideas into words that make a difference? Find me and discover more free resources at www.camilledeputter.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email newsletter where I share stories, free tools, and other storytelling guidance. And never forget, your story matters.